Let the church say amen. amen. Let the church say thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, as we're giving honor to whom honor is due, we do thank God for Sister Ebony and allowing us to walk with her all these many years and to see God using you the way in which he has. And we also have another person in our midst to be honored. There's a gentleman on this stage that has won two Grammy Awards as of this past Sunday. Brother Corey on the drums. Amen. He plays with the aristocrat of bands, Tennessee State University. Amen. And he was on the project, the Urban Journal, two Grammy Awards. Amen. Wow, God is so good. And also, um, I have a picture that the men are about to put up. We have another person who uh, deserves some honor today, or two people. Uh, the Hearns. Sister Loretta gave birth to Micah Nicole Hearns. Seven pounds, six ounces, and everyone is doing just fine. Amen. Amen. And Deaconess Loretta, I know, is beside herself. She's a grandma now. My goodness. Uh, Do we have any other goofy grandparents in the church? Because when you become a grandparent, you become goofy. Amen. Just raise your hand. Be proud about it. Be proud. Y'all goofy. Yeah, raise both of them. Y'all goofy. Uh-huh. Yep. Elder Sherman, y'all. Uh-huh. Mitch. And my wife and I, I know people will say, uh, you know, you got two children who are married now, but we're not trying to rush them, are we, babe? We're not rushing Dante and Aaron or Krista and Bo. We're not rushing them, but, but we'll be ready when the baby comes. No pressure on our kids. Because we're already goofy. My wife and I, will be out and we'll see babies somewhere and we'll just stop everything and just go over to those babies and start cooing and talking ridiculous and uh, we're suckers already. Ain't that right? Amen. Well, now it's time for the word of God. <laughs> well, turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Thank you, Bryce, for leading us in worship today. Um, thank you for praying for your pastor today to preach the word. And he's got a wedding coming up pretty soon as well, um, marrying Sister Grace. So we want to keep them in prayer. They're getting married in April. So a lot of great things are happening in the lives of people in this community. So let me say a quick word of prayer. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your spirit to anoint not only Jesus, but Jesus' followers to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. Lord, there are people in our body that are rejoicing, and there are people in our body who are sorrowful. It's always been that way, and it always will be that way, that those of us who are in a season of rejoicing can encourage those who may be in a season of sorrow or suffering. 
And then those who are suffering, Lord, they'll hit the mountaintop of rejoicing. And some of us will go back into the valley of suffering. That's life. Those are the seasons. But I thank you that through it all, you are faithful. Through it all, you are present. Through it all, you are with us. And through it all, you are able. Speak through me, Lord, and speak to me. Let's have a good time today in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a picture that I want to show you as an example of how we come to church. So, brothers, hit me. This is how we come to church. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You, you see this brother right here? He's clean. He looks good. He's, he's freshly shaven, and, and he's got the tie on and the suit, and, and, and he's ready. And when I look out here amongst all these beautiful people, I wish you could see what I see from up here, such a beautiful bouquet of God's glory. The diversity and, and the handsomeness and the beauty. Oh, my God, y'all are a good-looking congregation. Give it up for yourselves because you look so good. Some of y'all like, give it up for yourself. <laughs> you look good today. This is how we come to church. And out of the African-American church tradition, we would wear our Sunday best to church because that was our time where we were, quote, unquote, free from bondage as far as the, the labor, and we were free to worship God, whether in a church house or out in the brush we would put on our best, even if they were rags, we would put those on. And so that is carried on in our tradition of coming to church looking like that brother. Now, y'all know, don't, don't let the jersey fool y'all this morning because y'all know I can come clean when I need to come clean. Y'all do know that, right? As part of my African-American tradition. But because I'm free and I pass the white folks, I can also come very free and, you know, I can do that. that. That's what we are, right? We, we're the body of Christ. But this is how we really come to church. Boom. See that brother right there? That, that's how we really look, if we're honest. That my man's face is dirty. He, he's out in the wilderness. You really can't see it on the screen here. Pastor Jerry's going to get us some new projectors pretty soon. But he's struggling, and you see here that he's looking like he's just in a place of, I don't know what's going on in my life. And this is why some people don't want to come to church, because they look like that, and they feel like that. I'll never forget there was a preacher who got up very clean one Sunday wearing a suit, probably a three-piece suit, looking good. And to run this illustration home, he says, yeah, this is how we really come to church. And he began to take his suit jacket off. And he took his vest off, and people could see there was dirt on his shirt that the suit coat had covered. There were holes in the shirt. He took his shoes off. There were holes in his socks. And, and he said, this is how we really come, broken, busted, and disgusted. And, and in the eyes of man, we want to look a certain way, like we're okay when we're not. And so we put these airs on. It, it's really called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you put a mask on to, to act like something that you're not. That's what a hypocrite is. 
a stage actor who wears a mask. And, and, and what people see is the sharp, pristine, together part of us, but that's not who we really are. And God sees who we really are. God knows who we really are. The people hear us sing, the people hear us preach, the people hear us say amen and praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus. But God hears, I don't know if I'm going to make it today. God hears, Lord, I'm so tired of this church. God hears, I don't know if I'm going to make it. God hears. And that's why the Holy Spirit is able to, according to Romans chapter 8, interpret those moans and groans that we don't even know how to articulate ourselves. And so we're afraid to be who we are, our broken selves. And we need to always be reminded that our broken selves are still blessed and beautiful in the sight of God. And so there's this freedom that ought to come from where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom, freedom for me to be as I am by the grace of God. Some days I'm doing really good. Other days I'm not doing so good. And this is why I have to come into the house of God and be encouraged with God's people because in his presence I find the joy and the hope and the strength and the direction that I need. But I'm going to come in limping. And the Holy Ghost might allow me to go out leaping. I may come in with questions and concerns and the Holy Spirit is going to give me wisdom and discernment. He may not change the situation right now, but oh Lord, he did something in me right now. As I watched the Grammys last week, like so many of you, I was blessed not only by the 50-year anniversary of hip-hop and seeing some of the people that helped uh, motivate me to do rap and to get in front of people, but I also sat back and I saw my mother's favorite. My mother loved herself. Some Smokey Robinson. Y'all don't understand. My mother, who's in glory with Jesus, she loved herself some Smokey. Them light-skinned brothers. He was probably the first light-skinned brother, you know, that was in there like that with the green eyes and stuff. And Smokey came out and he sang with Barry Gordy right there in the audience and Stevie Wonder on the keys. And, and he began to sing Tears of a Clown. Now, my brother Harold probably knows this, but I did not know Stevie Wonder wrote that song as a teenager back in the day on Motown, which ended up being one of Smokey Robinson's biggest hits. But listen to the lyrics of this song. Now, if there's a smile on my face, it's only there trying to fool the public. But when it comes down to fooling you, now, honey, that's quite a different subject. Don't let my glad expression give you the wrong impression, because really I'm sad. Oh, I'm sadder than sad. You're gone and I'm hurting so bad. Like a clown, I appear to be glad. Now, there are some sad things known to man but ain't too much sadder than the tears of a clown when there's no one around. So you have a man who is heartbroken because the woman he loves is not around and he's trying to give the facade that everything is okay, but deep down he's heartbroken. He, he's wearing the face of a clown, smiling, but he also has the tears of a clown. 
And when I look at this verse, I see, or this song, I see so much theological application. Now, if there's a smile on my face when I come to church, it's only there trying to fool the church. But when it comes down to fooling you, Jesus, that's just quite a different subject. I, I, I can't fool you. You know the real deal. Well, Strong Tower, listen to this. In the midst of your personal pain, because there are people hurting right now, and in, the, and in the midst of your domestic despair, the Lord sees you, and the Lord hears you. Let me say that again. In the midst of your personal pain, in the midst of your domestic despair, the Lord sees you, and the Lord hears you. Because some of us are buying the lie that the Lord doesn't see us. The Lord doesn't hear us. In other words, the Lord does not care. Because if he cared, why would I suffer the way in which I'm suffering? Well, I'm here to let you know that not only does God see you, not only does God hear you, yes, he cares. And he's using the suffering to produce something in you that prosperity cannot. And this is where you have to trust the Lord's heart when you don't understand his mind. I don't know why God would do that, but I'm going to trust his heart because I know he loves me as we started the service off talking about his love. Nothing can separate us from his love. So although I don't like what I'm going through, I'm going to trust the God who is the author and the finisher of my faith in my life. A God who has gone on record in Romans 8.28 that he can work everything for good because I love him. Now, he may not come when I want him to come, but he has a way of just being right on time. Because he'll stretch out our trials sometimes. Sometimes when you read the Bible, there are people who suffered for years. And I'm not trying to make light of our suffering, but I think Paul did say our light momentary affliction, but I'm not trying to make light of our suffering, but we are the people in this country who don't really have the muscles of long suffering. We pace in front of the microwave. We, we, we just don't. Lord, it's been a week since I prayed that prayer. Where are you? Lord, it's been a month. Lord, it's been a year. Abram and Sarai, they got promised a promise of being a great nation. It did not come to pass or fruition until 25 years later. There was a woman with the issue of blood suffering for 12 long years. And so God will allow the suffering to, to put some things in us, to take some things out of us so that when he comes through, it's unmistakable, it's undeniable who should get all of the glory. Because if he blesses some of us too soon, we have the capacity and the tendency to put our name on the blessing as if we did that. So sometimes he'll make you wait. But in the midst of waiting, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your despair, he sees you and the Lord hears you. And today, Strong Tower, 
we're going to see that this is Hagar's testimony. Hagar, if you don't know who she is, I am so happy to introduce you to her. So in the midst of our series with Abram or Abraham and Sarah, uh, we're going to look today at Hagar versus Sarah, round one, fight. Remember when you played video games and you would, uh, Mortal Kombat, and they would come out? <laughs> fight. Well, Hagar and Sarah, this is round one. Next week is round two. But today, round one, let's go to Genesis chapter 16, because some of y'all just like seeing a fight anyway. Some of y'all just nosy. Some of y'all just, remember when you had fights in school? It would always be people egging on the fight, but you never saw them fighting. <laughs> fight, fight, fight. And then they're going at it. Well, we're going to see a fight today, and we're going to see ourselves in this fight. Chapter 16, verse 1, if you have it, say Amen. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, their names have not been changed yet. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Can we stop and sit there for a minute? Although these are the patriarchs, and she's the matriarch, and they have a great call on their lives to be a great nation, they still have suffering in their situation. I don't know about you, but when a woman who's married can't have a child, as it seems that as if God has closed her womb, that's some heavy pressure to live under. Because people will come up to you and say, when are y'all going to get pregnant? When are y'all going to have kids? And they don't know what's going on behind the scenes with how many times y'all have tried. And, and it's just not working. And, and so think about Sarah right now. She got this calling with her husband at the age of 65. And all those years being married, she is barren and has not had children. This is a sore spot for her. Then God comes along and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of y'all at 65. And she's, okay, I'll go by faith. But when we come here to chapter 16, this is 10 years after Genesis 12, when she gets the call at 65 years old, she's now 75 years old. That biological clock has ticked its way. It's gone. <laughs> she's struggling. And in that culture, again, so much of your definition as a woman was based on how many children you had, yet alone how many male children you had. So let's have a little bit of sympathy and empathy for this woman. She is under pressure. She has borne him no children. This is tough. This can lead to arguments and disagreements in the marriage. But the Bible says, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Okay. Hagar, an Egyptian or African maidservant. Where does she come from? Remember last week when Abraham lied or Abram lied in Egypt and he came out of Egypt because God blessed his mess anyway and he came out with more than he went in? He had already had men and male servants, but when he came out, he came out with Egyptian male and female servants. 
So many believe that Hagar was a part of this group that left out of Africa with him back into the land of Canaan. And so Sarah, who is wealthy, she has a maid or a maid servant. So let's get ourselves out of this world as much as we can and get into that world uh, to recognize that she had a group of women who served her and Hagar was one. And she says, uh, uh, I'm going to, uh, uh, let, let, let me go back here. Verse two. So Sarah said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. A little bit of shade right there directed at God. God is the one who's restrained me. Uh, please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. So what she's saying is, because in that culture, if a woman who was wealthy could not have children, then she would allow her maidservants to have relations or become a concubine to her husband so that the children that the concubine produced would become the children of the wife who could not produce. We see a little bit of this with uh, uh, Joseph's, no, no, uh, Jacob's story, rather. He is in love with Rachel, but he also has to marry Leah. Rachel can't have children, so she gave him her maidservant, Bilhah. And then Leah said, take Zilpah. And that's how they ended up getting those 12 kids. And those 12 kids would be the 12 tribes of Israel. They were the children of those women, Leah and Rachel, even though they did not give birth to them. But that was the culture where you would grab a surrogate like that. And so what we see going on here, there are some power dynamics. Sarah cannot have a child, but she puts her maidservant into the arms of her husband. And what you don't see is her asking Hagar if this is something she wants to do or not. Because Hagar is of a lower class. She doesn't even speak in all of this part right here because she has no power. She is a maid. Let's keep it even more real. She's a slave. She has no say. She has no authority. And so Sarah comes up with this idea that is prevalent in the culture in the, of the day. I can't have children. The Lord is keeping me from having children. Here, take my African, Egyptian, black, beautiful uh, maid here and you marry her. Now, my boy Abe, <laughs> he praying everywhere all the time. Matter of fact, chapter 15, he's talking to God because he's like, God, I'm just going to have you take somebody of my house, one of my servants, Eliezer of Damascus. I can't have a kid. My wife can't have a kid. And God said, no, the person is going to come from your body who's going to carry this covenantal blessing, this promise. And so Abraham's praying, talking to God. But when Sarah says, uh, I got an idea, I got a plan. God taking too long. Any of y'all ever try to insert your plan because you felt like God was taking too long? 
And she's under this thing too where if Abraham came home from that prayer meeting with the Lord, where he cutting animals and all that kind of stuff in half, and he says that the Lord said that the blessing is going to come from my body. But he doesn't say that the blessing is going to come from my body with you. Because in chapter 15, God doesn't say it's going to come from your body with your wife. That's assumed. So he comes and tells her, baby, it's coming from my body. So she's like, well, since it's not coming from my body, take this black body and marry her. And homeboy did not pray about that. Yo, y'all don't want to keep it real with me today, huh? Again, he praying about everything. He building altars everywhere. But on this one, he didn't pray. Maybe he was discouraged. Or maybe she was just beautiful like that. I don't know. But it's always a bad idea when one man is with two women. My wife said, well, real loud. I'm going to say it again. It's a bad idea for one man to have two women. Even if it's the culture of the day, doesn't make it right because it's going to bring some stress into the house. And yet God is still going to work in spite of those bad decisions and he's going to get them into his perfect will even though they meandered off into his permissive will. So the text says, here, take my maidservant. And look at how they're they're, they're referring to her. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar. She took her and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, so he's 85. As I mentioned, she's 75. So he went in to Hagar, Hagar and she conceived. So Hagar, again, has no power, has no voice. She's of a lower class. The power structures that be are over her. Abram goes into her. Now, although he is 85, he's still uh, virile enough to have relations. But when he hits 100, he's going to need help from God. Verse 4. So he went into Hagar, she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Mistress, the one who has the power, Sarah. You're going to go marry my husband and give me a child. You have no say in this. It's the way of the land. Then Hagar gets pregnant, and now the power shifts. And she's looking down on her mistress because her mistress can't do what she's able to do, and that is have a child, yet alone have a child with your husband that I am now married to as well. Oh, boy, we got a mess going on right here. Verse 5, then Sarah said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. Help me out, y'all. It's tough working with people who all they see is the wrong that you did. But they don't want to see the wrongs that they did. No, the wrong is on them. She should say the wrong is on us. But she said, look, 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 man, you got to fix this thing. The wrong is on you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. Breaking that down in the uh, ebonic, uh, uh, urbanic way, that means you better straighten this out or else. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to hurt you, 
if you don't fix this. So Abram did what a lot of men do. Deflect. So Abram said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. In other words, I ain't getting involved in this. Well, you didn't say that when she said, take my maidservant. You were happy to get involved then. So he's trying to back off like, no, 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 no. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So we see that Hagar is getting mistreated. Power dynamics. They inverted. And then Sarah takes power back by mistreating Hagar. And it says that she dealt harshly with her. I had to do some research to find out what this means. In the New King James Version where it says, says dealt harshly, it's really one word in the Hebrew language that really means to afflict, to afflict. And we see this word used in chapter 15, verse 13, when God is speaking to Abraham about this covenant promise. The Bible says in 1513 of Genesis, then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Afflict them. This is the same word used in Exodus chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, when the e Egyptian taskmasters afflicted the Jews. So now the Bible doesn't say exactly what treating harshly or afflicting is, but we can use our sanctified imagination and say there is verbal affliction where people cuss you up one side and down the other. There's mental affliction in the point that the things that people say to you mess with your mind and make you feel less than and worthless. There is emotional affliction where you don't feel loved by people who are supposed to take care of you. And he's a Christian folk. Now, Abraham and Sarah. There's social affliction where you feel like you have no power. There is sexual affliction. You're sleeping with the man that you're not emotionally connected to who's married to somebody else. And there's spiritual affliction and there's physical affliction. Chances are Sarah did all those things and oppressed. That word afflict can also be translated as oppress, to humiliate. Whatever she did to this woman, it was so bad that she ran away. So she gets mistreated. I don't know there are people today who feel mistreated in their homes, afflicted in their marriages, not just women, but men too, where a spouse is afflicting the other with emotional and mental and spiritual and physical and verbal and sexual abuse. And there are people hurting so bad that they want to run. Some have already run. But since we're getting into the domestic dysfunction of Abraham and Sarah, what this is letting us know, that there's nothing new under the sun, that if they went through this, we go through stuff like this. Maybe not this severe, but we all struggle. It's all common to man. 
So let's stop trying to act like everything's all good when you know everything is not. What do you do? She ran. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Verse 7. Now let's look at how the fact that Hagar gets found. Verse 7. Are you with me? Now the angel of the Lord found her. Help us, Lord. She ran from an oppressive environment. She's out in the wilderness, the text will say. And the angel of the Lord found her. For those who feel like nobody knows, that God doesn't even know what you're going through, that nobody hears, God doesn't even hear what you're going through. I want you to breathe for a minute because the Lord cares. The Lord hears and the Lord knows exactly where you are. He found her. Now I'm going to let the cat out the bag right here. This term, the angel of the Lord, is repeated four times in this passage. In my New King James Version, the angel is capitalized. So this is saying something to me that this angel is not any other kind of angel. This is the angel of the Lord who is going to say stuff to Hagar that only God can say. And so what this tells me that this is a theological term called a Christophany. What's a Christophany? When the angel of the Lord begins to speak, say, and do things that only God can do, this is God. And what this means is that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus is eternal. He always has been and will always be. He did not begin in Bethlehem by coming through Mary's womb. He's the eternal son. And he entered into human space and time before the new covenant days. And he would make appearances to the people of God as the angel of the Lord. So as she's looking at the angel of the Lord, she's looking at Jesus in the Old Testament taking bodily form. Why? Because the father never takes human form. The spirit never takes human form. The only member of the triune Godhead who takes human form is Jesus. We definitely know in the new covenant, but we also see here in the Old Testament. So what we see here is history. Because this African woman is the first person to see Jesus Christ. Because you don't see it anywhere in the early parts of Genesis, not even Abraham. She's the first person to lay eyes on Jesus. And the reason why this doesn't surprise me is because when Jesus got out, up out of the grave, the first people to lay eyes on the resurrected Christ were women. He finds her. For those who are running today, Jesus knows exactly where you are. He sees you. He found her by this spring of water. Verse 8, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And when the Lord asks questions, it's never to gain information. He knows everything. He's just initiating conversation, just like Jesus did with the woman at the well. He knows how to bring you in and talk to you. 
She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Wait a minute now. <laughs> Hold on here. Jesus, you're telling this woman to go back into an environment where she was afflicted and treated harshly? Jesus, why would you send her back into something like that? Well, again, I don't propose to know the mind of God, but I can use my mind based on what I see about his mind in Scripture to maybe come up with some ideas on why would Jesus send her back into that environment. Maybe Jesus sent her back because he knew that Sarah would never do that again. Maybe he sent her back because he knows that he can work anything and everything for good. I don't know. But in a minute, he's about to say, you're about to have a son. And she didn't know what she was having, but God does. And this son is going to be wild. We're going to read that. He's going to be a wild, he's going to be some trouble. So I need you to go back because this young man is going to need his father in his life for the first 13 years of his life versus you trying to raise him on your own as a single parent. So go back because he need his daddy. Some of y'all said, Pastor, that still ain't squaring with me. That ain't squaring with me. But let me remind you of this. It was Sarah who afflicted Hagar, not Abraham. Let, let me try to clean this up a little bit more. Hagar was in a work relationship with Sarah. She wasn't married to Sarah. So therefore, I can't see Jesus sending a battered woman back into a situation for her to be battered some more. But this is Sarah here. And God says, I see what you don't see. Go back. He says, return and submit to her. And we don't know if there was a conversation that God had with Sarah to say, don't you ever put your hands or don't you ever put your mouth on and speak. We don't know. But dig this. I got to keep going before I lose y'all anymore. Then the angel of the Lord, verse 10, said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. In other words, I'm about to bless you. Angels can't do that kind of blessing. He says, I'm going to do it because this angel is Jesus. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Jesus said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. Look at that knowledge. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. Can I stop and pause strong? Hope you don't mind Bible teaching. I'm going to shout in a minute, okay, to make you feel good. But, but we got to get some Bible teaching. And God says, name that boy Ishmael. Ishmael, El, Elohim, God. Ishmael, hear. God hears. Specifically, God hears your affliction. God heard you when you were being mistreated by your mistress. God heard you when you were working for the first family and you were struggling. 
You were miserable. You were afflicted. God heard you. Name your son over the fact that I heard you so that every time you call him to come into the tent for breakfast, you're reminded of the fact that I heard you when you were afflicted. Mm -hmm. Verse 12, he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Ishmael, son of Abraham, is going to be the one who is going to be the progenitor of the Arab people who are part Jew, part African. They are Afro-Asiatic people. And from these people will come the religion of Islam, Muhammad and Islam. And Islam and Judaism will be in constant conflict in that land. And you're going to see it later next week when we get to round two, when Ishmael is coming against Isaac, there's going to be tension between the two people groups. What's going on now in what is called the Middle East? There's tension between the people groups. But let us not forget that God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless Ishmael. Princes are going to come out of Ishmael. So Muslims are not our enemies. They are people made in the image of God, and we are to love them well with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not to write all of them off because of a few who are extremists. Any more than you don't want people to write all Christians off because of a few extremists in the group. So God says, I'm going to bless this young man, even though he's going to be wild now. He's going to fight with everybody. I'm going to bless him. Verse 13, here it is, y'all. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Here's some black history again. Another black history moment. Not only is she the first person to see Jesus in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. Now she's the first person to give God a name. She said, you are the God who sees me. So the fact that Jesus found her, that Jesus heard her, that Jesus saw her, made her feel a whole lot better, even though her situation technically had not changed. It was an encounter with Jesus that gave her hope like we sang today. Meeting with Jesus, Jesus speaking a word to her, gave her hope. And she said, you are the God who sees. In other words, you are El God Roha, the Lord who sees. And we get Jehovah Roha, the Lord who sees, or the Lord my shepherd. Why? Because shepherds are to be overseers of the flock. They're to see short and long distances. They're to see danger coming from wolves. They're to see bears. They're to see. So she said, you're the God who sees Roha, my God. And then she said, for, 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 for have I also here seen him who sees me? I'm seeing the one who saw me. It's a Christophany. Therefore, the well was called Bir Laharoha. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. That means the well of the one who lives and sees me. 
He found her because he saw her. He found her because he heard her. He found this woman who was on the lower rung of society because he cares about her. He enters into time and space and allows this woman to have a first, a couple of firsts with him. You see me, and I'll even let you name me. The old preacher would say, the God we serve sits high. But he what? He regards the lowly. So if you're hurting today, if you're without resources today, if you've been afflicted, pushed out, abused, overlooked, put down, humiliated, you're really in a great place for the Lord to meet you in that valley. You're in a great place for intimacy with the Lord to occur. But finally, after Hagar gets mistreated and gets found, now she gives birth as I close. Verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Why? Because she told him about the conversation she had with Jesus. Abram was 86 years old. When Hagar bore Ishmael, she went back. She went back. So what's the proof that she heard God? She obeyed him. All right, now help me here, y'all. She goes back. Why? Because he said, go back. Here's my problem with myself and with other believers. When God calls some of us to go back, we stay. When God calls some of us to leave, we stay. Uh, I didn't say it right. Some of y'all, God says, go back to that job that you say, mm, they ain't treating me right in here. God says, go back. That relationship as long as it's not something physical and your life is in danger, sometimes God will say, go back and forgive. 70 times 7, go back. But we listening to our girlfriends and our homeboys when God says, stay in that marriage. And we're trying to take the first thing smoking out. We're not listening to Jesus. Or if Jesus says, get out of there, we're listening to ourselves and our heart and our feelings, and we stay in there. What I'm saying is, can't nobody tell you what to do but Jesus. But if you aren't listening to Jesus and spending time with Jesus, you're going to mess up. You're either going to miss a blessing or you're going to get hurt. I can't tell you if God's telling you to go back. I can't tell you if God's telling you to leave. You got to spend time with the Lord. And she goes back, submits herself. And let me help somebody else out with this. She goes back, and I don't believe Sarah mistreats her again like that. Because, again, I believe God spoke to her, or, or maybe she knows that she's with child, but it's a different environment now. And she's going back to give birth to a man who doesn't love her. She's in a marriage with a man who's married. She has a child by him, 
but there's no emotional attachment between the two. And chances are Sarah is not going to let her sleep with her husband again. So she is going to be a single mom without a husband for a long time. There are women who think, if I can just give him a baby, he's going to love me. No, no. He'd he, he love your body. He loves having power over you, but he doesn't love you like that. And in some cases, he loves his wife. He doesn't love you. So that may be something you need to talk to Jesus about because I can tell you what he's saying right now. If you are trying to share somebody with somebody else, God's saying, get out of that. But we pray together. Who y'all praying to? In the midst of your personal pain and your domestic despair, the Lord sees you and he hears you. But the question is, do you see him and do you hear him? She heard the Lord. She saw the Lord. It changed her life from that encounter. You're struggling. I go through struggles. Do you hear the Lord? Do you see the Lord? And the proof is that you do what he says even if you don't understand it completely. Well, Psalm 34, 18, as Bryce comes back, I want to pray for folks today. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. I preach this sermon two times this week before I came to this podium because there were people who were hurting and reached out to me and we talked in both cases the people felt like they were suffering unjustly they didn't know where God was what God was doing they hadn't seen his hand move in a while one was even deconstructing her faith and I had to tell her the Lord hears you. The Lord sees you. But do you hear him? Do you see him? I had to say it to a man who, whose marriage is struggling. And they're about to come on 20 years and he doesn't know if they're going to make it. And I said the Lord cares because he sees you and he hears you. Don't give up trust him. Bryce, would you help us now? Because I think we need, Lord, would you help me to open up my eyes and open up my heart that I can see you. What I need right now is an encounter with the living God more than I need the living God to fix the situation. That's coming. But Lord, do something in me. I, I need a fresh touch a fresh moment, a fresh experience with you. Because once I go into my prayer closet, I go in like a little pussycat. But in your presence, I find strength and I'm going to leave out like a lion, Lord. I need you today. Church, would you stand with me? This last song is a prayer for us. And I want to open up 
the front, which we call the altar today, because sometimes you got to move and be a little uncomfortable. This altar is for broken people today who, who need Jesus. Going through something, going through something, you're struggling. Lord, I need to see you. God, I need you. And I'm moving. I'm, I'm coming to you. But see, if we act like that first picture, man, I, I don't have no problem. I look good, but I'm torn up inside. He resists the proud. But if you can say, Lord, here I am, he gives grace to the humble. If you need prayer, come up at this time. Come on. Start singing, my brother. Father, as I approach you now, I come against the myth of American exceptionalism. That says, as Americans, we're always strong. We always have it together. But we come against that. That even happens in the church. The pride that keeps us from humbling ourselves before you. Lord, we're sorry. And if we're not where Hagar was right now, life will hit us where we will be there one day. Where we will wonder, where are you? Why did you let this happen, yet alone let it happen right now? I don't get it. I thank you that you're God enough that you can let us wrestle with you. Because you're such an intimate God. You come near the brokenhearted, and that means we all apply to have a fresh touch and encounter with you. But Father, there are some of us right now who are in some unusual seasons of suffering and pain, and we feel alone. 
and we wonder what's going on, yet alone, where are you? But Lord, I pray that today faith came by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that you are the one who finds us when we flee. You are the one who knows where we are when we're in the wilderness. And you make yourself known to us and you remind us how much you love us and how much you care for us and the power and the ability that you have to bless us. And yet, God, beyond the blessing, you want to do something in us so that you can do something through us. I thank you that Hagar left out one way, but she went back another way. And she wasn't going to be the same woman that succumbed to affliction. She was now carrying a child in her. A child who would be great. I thank you for how you're able to do stuff in our lives. I pray for those who've come to pray whatever they're talking to you about or whoever someone may be standing in the gap for someone that they know is hurting. Father, I pray before you do the miracle, would you meet them? Would you hold them? Would they see you? Would they be able to hear you like they've never heard you before or in a long time? And may the dynamic exchange of that moment cause them to get up and go back and face the things that once caused them to flee and to crumble and fall apart. And after they've had the encounter, Lord, and if we know you, you, you have some great things in store. You are the God who's able to blow our mind. You told us, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and marvelous things that you don't even know about. Lord, in a moment, I'm going to close in prayer, citing a word of doxology that we say every week about what you're able to do. Lord, we believe that you're able. And when we don't believe, help our unbelief. That person who needs help in that relationship, that person who needs help on the job, that person who needs help at home. Now unto you, O oh God, who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that's working within us. To you, O oh God, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power right now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Before you leave, can you hug a couple of people and just bless them? Somebody needs a hug today. If you're looking for a home church, I'm right here. Come holler at me. Have a blessed day, Strong Tower.